Welcome. You're listening to the 3.0 edition of the Brain Fuzz Arts Music and Culture Podcast with Joe Kamusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew jump into a discussion on creators and the act of creating. How do you juggle creation and output with the distribution and consumption of your work? References today include Frank Zappa, Marcel Duchamp, Ray Johnson, Grimes, and more. Joe offers a Jeff Tweedy moment. Matthew revives the audio pick of the day. Multiple topics are thoroughly unpacked. Sources are questioned. From safe and secure locations at Brain Fuzz Northwest and Brain Fuzz Southeast, here are Joe and Matthew. Got quite the agenda today. Yes. I want to welcome everyone to Brain Fuzz 3.0, Brain Fuzz Season 3. I don't know how we're going to do the versioning. Maybe this is 3.1, but everybody's doing seasons, and I like the idea of seasonality in podcasting. I don't know. I, I, why come to expect something every week? I don't like, I'm not really into that. Well, I've already you have, grown tired. You have no so. control over where someone dips in or out in terms of, uh, you know, most podcasts, aren't you kind of picking based on uh, guest, perhaps, versus listening to, you know, if you're going to dive into, uh, Mark Maron, are you going to start with episode one or uh, probably not? Plus, he's been doing it for, what, 10, 10 years? The king of podcasting. So you would call yourself more of a seagull listener. That is, uh, well, time's a premium. Time's a premium. You can't just. <laughs> but we say Brain Fuss 3.0 because we're responding to the demands of the time and our listeners, and we've uh, got some fresh formatting here. Things are different than the last time you may have listened to Brain Fuzz. Something we've been thinking about, Joe, you and I have talked about it in our uh, show prep. If you're a creative person and you have to create, but you also have to change the way your work is consumed or experienced, what drives you? What motivates you? And I was thinking about this, especially when I was watching the recent, recently released Frank Zappa documentary, 2020, directed by Alex Winter. Now, you might know Alex Winter from what, Joe? Uh, Bill and Ted, I believe. Isn't that strange to that's, go from Bill and Ted's <laughs> excellent? That's quite the uh, quite the pedigree. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Frank Zappa, let me just let me just say this: Frank Zappa was, uh, you know, what I'm actually gonna I'm gonna pick a little bit from Britannica here because I no longer trust Wikipedia. Frank Zappa is uh, in 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 the introduction here in the biography provided at Britannica.com. Frank Zappa is introduced as an American composer, guitarist, and satirist, which is interesting to me, but is correct. Of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I would say it goes a little longer than that, but um, roughly. Um, look, I don't, you know, I don't know what your feelings are on Frank Zappa. Um, you know, there is some of the stuff that just, I can't handle it, some of it, Um I don't think it maybe has a place uh, right now, a lot of the material. But what I love about Frank Zappa was actually um, revealed in this documentary. It was quite good. It's not the best in terms of linear fact. Here's the story of Frank Zappa. But what it, what I think its strength is, is the uh, capturing kind of the message 
the overall, a good overview of Frank Zappa. And what I walk away from that documentary with is this, this drive, this purpose to hear the music that was in his head. And regardless, that was going to happen. And I think of a couple of interviews, there was um, one of them was David Letterman uh, conversation where he says, I'm going to put this record out, going to lose money on it, probably, but <laughs> I'm going to pay to do this because I want to see it realized. And he says, if anybody else wants to hear it and wants to buy it, it'll be available. And that's really, you know, that's, uh, I think that's refreshing. So I have to, I have to appreciate that again. You're not going to like every period of Zappa's career and maybe you shouldn't, but, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say, what, what do you like about that specifically? I, you know, I, I like the unwavering commitment to his vision and he's going to see it through regardless. Now we don't have to like his vision. You're not, you're not always going to agree with the vision or, or like the vision. Well, it's, a, it's a, definitely it's a full time job, I think, to uh, be a Zappa fan. Um, I, in speaking with you the other day, it made me delve back into uh, some some research. Here it was mu- the much needed um, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention in the 1960s, which I was able to uh, stream, I believe, on uh, I think it was Amazon Prime, and it's like two hours and thirteen. It's long, and it certainly could have been edited down a little bit. But um, you know, I was conversant with, uh, or so I thought, with Zappa's career, and um, quite amazing to see the amount of people, musicians that cycled through that band and some of the different periods. And I, for some reason, just completely was oblivious uh, to his uh, foray into free jazz. I really didn't know he went that far. Um, which was, you know, or like seeing that, uh, there was a Jean-Luc Ponty connection. And, uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's amazing, uh, his longevity, you know, cause I think some people can take him as, like you said, satirist, you know, and think of maybe Valley Girl and just think like, oh yeah, like he's like a weird Al's weird uncle or something. And, yep. uh, you know, in, 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 truth you know you're a pretty serious composer but i i think the one title that jumps in my head is iconoclast would uh sum up sum up zappa and uh i can't imagine he was a whole lot of fun to uh to be around had a great sense of humor but i mean in terms of you know again being able to just uh empty his bandstand at will um you know that that had to hurt if you were (laughs) uh just because he thought hey well this band can play this and this next band can um, but people stuck around, you know, and obviously he did that movie. What was it? Two, 200 motels, 200 motels. And, uh, you know, so obviously I guess the people that did time with him on the road, they understood that, yeah, I might be, uh, be sent down to the minor leagues for a little bit while Frank pursues, you know, whatever's next. You really get a sense of that in the, uh, 2020 documentary because, um, there's just there's access to material there and we're not going to get into the whole family thing and but there's access to material that is just unbelievable seeing the vault alone is worth it and it it opens with that um with that but um yeah the, the relationship wise you get a better taste i think of the difficulty of 
you know, it's kind of a love hate thing. It's being with somebody that, that you admire their work and admire, admire their vision. And then you also know that with that comes some sacrifices in terms of the relationship itself. Right. I agree. I, I, I sometimes wonder though, if we all, um, dive a little too deep with our, uh, Heroes a big word too, but just yeah. you know, pe- music that we like. Do we really want to know, you know, what these people are like? <laughs> you know, because most yeah. of the time you're not going to be too thrilled. So at the same time, you know, so I watched that, but at the same time, I've been reading this Marcel Duchamp uh, dialogues, dialogues or dialogue with Marcel Duchamp, and it's um, it's in that classic question answer format. It reads just. Um, is just unadorned, I guess is a good word to say it. You you are reading this conversation. But he, he you know, one of the things that I came across, and again, you know, comparing with this um, Zappa story where he's, he's like, I'm going to put it out there, and if you want to in- enjoy it, great. If not, here's a quote I've got from Duchamp. All in all, the creative act is not performed by the artist alone. The spectator brings the work in contact with the external world by deciphering and interpreting its inner qualification and thus adds his contribution to the creative act. This becomes even more obvious when posterity gives a final verdict and sometimes rehabilitates forgotten artists. Now I think about, and you probably got a taste for this, especially with that, um, with the flow and eddy period for Zappa. Oh, right. How, the interaction between the audience and how they feed each other. Um, and at times there's this um, condescending <laughs> attitude right. towards right. the audience, right? And and um, and now and, and 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 you look at this with Duchamp, and he's he's saying that uh, that creative act is not performed by the artist alone. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, why else would work be shown in public or in the digital realm? But uh, more on that later. But uh, uh, yeah. Now, hey, we like to I, I like to more so than Joe, I think, jumble together creatives. So visual artist, uh, musician, I'm, I'm jumbling it all together because I'm speaking in terms of creative people. Um, but when you compare and contrast the output of these two individuals and their attitudes towards, you, you know, you've got this. You've got this workaholic. Um, and yet uh, Duchamp almost saw it at the opposite, this this kind of embraced laziness, embracing living rather than the making of the art constantly. I mean, he would go for years without producing anything and was not only okay with it, actually, I think, preferred it, it avoided money-making at all costs. <laughs> um yeah, I think that's a that's a tough one. I mean, some people are, you know, whether it's workaholics, um, some people are just hiding, <laughs> you yeah. know, from other parts of their life, maybe. But I, you know, I, with Duchamp, obviously a thinker, and I, I've certainly have learned to appreciate the benefit of having time to think and to look is very, very important versus just always making it. You know, so I, I have to have multiple speeds versus it just being uh you know jackson pollock comes to mind or or all those that to this day copy him and make you know a single painting in an afternoon and it's all just splash splash you know like great that might work once in a while but uh 
you know, I think there's there's got to be some more nuance to it. I said earlier, you know, in terms of looking into the lives of, uh, you know, musicians and artists that we that we like. Uh, but do we also maybe look too much sometimes in terms of how they how they work versus does that get in the way of appreciating the end product? You know, that's, sometimes yeah, there's something really nice to be, you know, and I, I find myself having to trick myself at times, you know, it's like, cause I want to know all the details and what kind of materials and, and all of that. But, um, I, I think after a while that can change the way I look at the work or, you know, appreciate it, etc. Um, which is awful. Cause I, you know, I think that's the hardest thing. The longer you do any kind of creative work is keeping that, uh, keeping your inspiration intact. There's a freshness there, you know, isn't there? You hear that you know? so often with musicians. I think I think they get just completely, you know, back in the days of touring, completely burned out of playing, you know, the same, same songs, night after yeah. night. Um, so he, legendary caffeine drinker and cigarette smoker, and he was he was uh, straight edge before straight edge, correct? Like he did yeah. not uh, mm-hmm. imbibe at all, from what I understand. No, sir. So, and no so, drugs. No drugs. Drug free. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, man, I can't imagine nicotine and caffeine. I mean, and the thing is, everybody always expects you know some crazy drug use there because right. you know, and there's this uh, Saturday Night Live. There were Saturday Night Live skits that were centered on that. And um, I don't think he, he he didn't appreciate it because it was so strange to him that everybody else would be doing drugs. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I think of the, the late, great Ray Johnson um, artist. And in one of the uh, there's actually one of the documentaries on him. Um, one of his friends was talking about their uh, their epic drug use and he said we were all just trying to get where ray was naturally because i think there was <laughs> yeah. a time where he just was just one of those you know that's why like you know you know i have a long deep seated uh, i don't know if it's hatred uh but i think the word artist is can be so pompous you know depending on what who it's being applied to but when you you know when you meet somebody on the street what are you, oh i'm an artist i'm always like really okay um no you i'm Go back to the gen. Remember the uh, temporary yep. art center discussion uh, yes. that was thoroughly unpacked. That's true. Anyway, but I was thinking though when you Ray Johnson is one of those that uh, and Duchamp. Like when you're mentioning some of these people that are just deep thinkers and they literally are just in another world, yeah. and it's not either drug induced or a you know an act. Um, at least, you know, again, how do I really know? But it it seems it seems like history has. Uh, Born that out, but um, we won't uh, we won't go down that the fraught road of artist. Good. Uh, wh- 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 how how would you introduce Jeff Tweedy? Oh wow! Um, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't do the old uh, Wikipedia. Um, been playing in bands since high school. Uh, he, you know, he wrote some uh, some rock criticism even as a a high school i believe he one of his first reviews was a a soul asylum show uh hailed from belleville illinois so you know the chicago and minneapolis would have been the uh, the big city 
uh, to him. Uh, played in the legendary uh, Uncle Tupelo, made a couple fine records, and then when that band kind of blew up, he took basically the rhythm section and formed Wilco, and has made about 452 albums since, and um, <laughs> some some which have been fantastic and. That's another one we were comparing him to to Zappa in a, in a sense of, you know, when somebody has a, a huge output, you know, as a fan, are you obligated yeah. to uh, tag along, especially when you can find stuff for free or you reach a point where you're just like, I think I've, I've heard enough for right now, which seems awful, you know, I mean, but uh, think about artists, you know, artist studios. I mean, do you ever reach a point where you're like, yeah, I'm good? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. just being honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel that way. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to look at that much of my own work. Uh, you yeah. know. So how could you? Sometimes the tank gets full. But uh, I've always had a lot of respect for him because I think, um, you know, like I said, I think he barely uh, got out of high school. You know, so he's not a music school prodigy. Uh, and you can hear it in through the records. Like you can hear somebody learning how to write songs and get better, how to sing, how to sing harmony, but how to become a you know a lead vocalist against. I say against, but or aside with the, uh, nor next to Jay Farrar, who you know, mm-hmm. any review, especially in that era, everyone would refer to it like he had a voice of like the voice of God. Um, <laughs> so you know, to to have the confidence um, to merge from that shadow and uh, and and develop a craft, and I think this book that he has come out with called "How to Write One Song," you know, this is on the heels of his. Uh, Autobiography? Yeah. Biography. Yes. Autobiography. Yeah. Is that a memoir? What's, uh, is that a um, memoir? Is I, it a... I suppose. But, uh, yeah, so how to write one song, and it's a pretty simple premise. You know, instead of just, you know, Jeff Tweedy's guide to songwriting, it's just like, how about writing one song? And this is written to either someone who has never written a song or can barely play an instrument or really doesn't play an instrument but has a computer and maybe can string some beats together or what have you. Um, but it, it doesn't come off as like one of those, uh, what were the, the, um, chicken soup, you know, for the soul series, like on everything or the dummies guide to, so I I think on all levels and I, I picked it up coming from, I mean, I play a couple instruments. I record music that I don't make people listen to. Um, but I was thinking more along the lines of like specifically paintings right now for me, not even like drawings. I have no no problem filling up pieces of paper with with marks but uh painting um you know i've been thinking a lot like where where are these things going and where the inspiration so to read him talking about his commitment to a daily practice and i think in the literal sense of the word he goes to a studio a beautiful studio that's not far from his house but uh and works on stuff that he's already probably been sitting in his house in his pajamas, you know, hashing mm. out and literally recording into his phone. You know, so taking mm. like those rough drafts, then get, having the luxury of going into a studio with other people, engineers, etc., and uh, and building songs. And I think that's the same thing as you know most you know visual artists uh, in a studio. Your you know work that takes more than you know one shot. Um, but he, uh, there were a couple things that I found very challenging. Um, for instance, anybody that does this day in and day out, and we we're talking about drive and what keeps you going, but he was talking about the creative state is the most important part. None of it means anything if you're not excited by the discovery of what you're making. 
Yeah. You know, and I found found myself highlighting, you know, excited and discovery. And it's not, you know, I don't think every day it's going to be that. No. Um, but to try to say, well, why not? You know, why can't it be? Um, where is the discovery versus feeling like, okay, for the next three days, I'll be painting, you know, that grid-like pattern. And uh, I mean, I guess you're going to have that sometimes or depending on one's production schedule. Well, it's the anticipation of the discovery that keeps you going, right? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, but there was a really, really another good part here that I thought was important um, and kind of made me think I need to maybe perhaps recommit to like, what is the essence of, of my job here, which is to you know stay motivated. He says, I do think there's a lot of soul crushing work and a lot of unfortunate circumstances where people are tied to something they can't get out of because it's the only way to sustain their family's existence. But that's all inspiration to work harder at what you do love doing it. Because if you do get to do something you love, you're part of a small minority of the billions of humans who have ever walked the earth. That says to me that you should cherish it and protect it and do everything you can to ensure that it's not corrupted, that it's not taken from you and made into something less fulfilling. Protect your inspiration, protect your ability to be inspired. And I mean, seriously, protect your ability to be inspired. And again, it's, it's yeah. work. And that's what I guess comes through this whole book. Uh, and he, he doesn't put a negative on the the work, you know. I think he talks about how it's noble, you know, to work at something. But, um, you know, I, I just think we're always, I'm always chipping away at these myths around creativity. And it is work mm-hmm. to be inspired, whether that's to get out and go see some things. And, you know, there's ways mm-hmm. to do that right now. Um, and it makes such a difference. Or to go for a walk, you know, just ways of, like, rebooting. But, um because I do realize, you know, obviously, if if you're not inspired, how can you, or I should say, if I'm not inspired, um, how can I expect anybody else to be inspired by the work? I think that's, you know, that's a tall order. So uh, that's true. That's true. You know, one of the big job job requirements, I think. Uh, so, you know, you're a reader, you're a listener. It's probably why we are still sitting here. How many years yeah, since uh, right. we first met each other, you know, and it's always have a stack of books and, yeah. and that's just the way we feed. There's, you know, again, there's that's no true. one, there's no, no one way to do it. But uh, anyway, it's a decent book. You can read it in one sitting. Um, I think it applies to just about any kind of work, um, but it's fascinating. Uh, you know, he touches on the Burroughs cut up method. Who doesn't, you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, coming up with lyrics, which I think this also could apply like for anybody I think I've said it a million times, but the hardest thing for me is naming work, you know, good titles for uh, abstract work. And just think of some mm-hmm. of the of the word puzzles that he comes up with. But, uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of artists that keep, you know, running lists of, of titles and just words and yep. however you do it, it doesn't matter. And I think it just, you know, again, it's just freeing. And I always think, you know, a lot of people are pretty guarded about their process and I'm just, that's, it's nice when you see someone just like completely open the doors and like, sure. Hey, what do you want to know? Here's how I do it. Yeah. They're confident yeah. enough that, you know, yes. you still, I'm going to, he's going to do what he's doing. And that is the, uh, that's the, uh, the, the Jeff Tweedy moment. You know, uh, <laughs> that would be a good segment somewhere, right? The that Jeff Tweedy moment. It, it amazes me every time I turn around, there's some Jeff Tweedy something somewhere. And, you know, we briefly touched on this is the overexposure, right? Uh, saturation, 
what it, is there such thing as oversaturation? It's just saturation. Yeah, I believe. Uh, uh, I don't know. Irregardless. Uh, irregardless. But it's up to it's re- up it's up to the fans. Going back to your Zappa point earlier, but uh, I, I I think it's fascinating this this bit because think about it. If you're the artist, you know how how do you necessarily know what's good? And most seems like most artists. We'll keep it to musicians, for instance, for this bit. Um, usually, love their most recent, you know, mm-hmm. recordings. Those mm-hmm. are the, those are their the, the new babies. Um, naturally, they're going to put those out and, and tour them. And uh, you know, how many bands do you love that perhaps came out with a record that at the time you thought, "What are you doing?" You listen to uh, you know, you're a very varied listener, uh, esoteric. Uh, in your, in your tastes. Um, and so, I mean, I think, you know, you love a challenge where there's some folks, if someone takes a a turn, they're like, that's it, they're done. Uh, you know, like the Dylan going electric or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway, but, um, I, you know, I, I can count a lot of bands that I love that at times I just like took a break from. And then many years later, like suddenly I find myself either ready to appreciate, the music, if it's especially if it's something really complex or challenging, or it's just like, oh, now I kind of get it. And how many other derivatives of that kind of softened you up to it? And I think, yeah. you know, visual art, I've always said the same thing about, you know, work that really angers or provokes. I've always, the, I've learned this the hard way, and I always would tell, you know, students especially, like, pay attention to that stuff because it's usually a reason why it's annoying you that much or mm-hmm. sticks in your brain. But, uh, yeah. You know, like I've always needed kind of these gateway drugs to get to some of these, you know, uh, when you think about, uh, you know, I I think it's like probably a lot easier for someone to look at like Mark Rothko, for instance, than like Charles Ray off the, you know, off the top of the, what a combination right there. (laughs) That's, that'd be a show, huh? And now the Brain Fuzz audio pick of the day. I was I was pulled in a lot of different directions, but I have to stick with the theme and go with probably my favorite, at least for now, Zappa record, Hot Rats. Oh, I knew it. You knew it? I knew it was going to be Hot Rats, especially after my, uh, my free jazz little jab there. Now, why did you expect that it would be Hot Rats? Because uh, it seems like that was his first stylistic like quantum leap and it was also a successful record yes it was one of the things i like about this record is diversity across the board here you mentioned jean-luc ponty earlier um but i think something that often gets overlooked is don sugarcane harris do you know don sugarcane oh harris? yeah yeah uh it's phenomenal the sound that you get on this record um so you've got, let's see, I'm looking at all music here. So a remarkably talented violinist based in blues and rock and influenced by jazz and classical music. What's great on this record is that you have an entry point into, I would say, some really difficult jazz. And yet it's made um, more approachable by coming back to these blues and rock themes that kind of comfort you as a listener. Okay. And it's a great entry point uh, into some, you know, I don't like throwing the terms around, but it's free jazz. 
I don't know but, how you. It, it, it's difficult you to there, put that album in a in a category. But there right? is a there is a grounding, like you said, and yeah. um, it, I mean it it swings, but it also a, a rock audience isn't going to be alienated. Absolutely not. You have uh, Willie the Pimp with uh, uh, Captain Beefheart on it, and if nothing else, um, even if you don't go for the whole jazz thing, that record is worth worth it for that. It is an amazing uh, jazz rock fusion that um, that I it, I come back to, and I find anytime I jump into something uh, Zappa related, and maybe I you know I tend to come back to that for some reason. I think it's just that point in the career again, talking about creative turns and and choices and gambles, uh, risks. Um, it's a point that you can kind of come back to and see uh, where things go from there how you get to where you're going love that record was this Hell the, the first zappa record you ever heard no um uh, let me think here i don't know what the first i don't know the first time you know probably the first thing i heard i remember from uh, tr- uh, tr- uh terrestrial radio i remember hearing on a classic rock station uh cuts from joe's garage Okay, sure. And um, you know, that was in in his in his work that is that's kind of the not so serious stuff that generated the funds to be able to do the serious work that that he wanted to do. It's kind of like if you own a gallery and you're selling the blue chip stuff out of the second <laughs> the the uh secondary market in the back and then you're doing what you really want to do in the front. Um he embraced that model from the beginning and made it happen and you really see that with uh, hot rats but hot rats was one of those risks that really i think paid off for him um i don't know like in terms of i would say long term you, you said it was a i think a critical success i don't i think it's it sold well in europe as i remember correctly not 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 as well here in but. england particularly according to that documentary which i thought oh really which i thought was amazing I was like really they loved it uh that is interesting, isn't it? I always find that amazing when bands are like huge in certain parts. Like, we're big in Luxembourg. Well, and going back to Don Sugarcane Harris, I'm sure he didn't see that. <laughs> I'm sure that he, he was probably the most surprised. Um, that's a crazy story right there. Uh, you know, Zappa had this um, this ability to seek out that sound that he was looking for in unusual places you would not in in terms of the players and to maybe in the case of Don of Sugarcane Harris looking back in 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 trying to capture a sound that was a piece of um of something and then um and and then applying it and integrating it and then growing from that 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 kind of mind it just is amazing to me uh, a brilliant mind, a brilliant, brilliant mind. Hey, you know, sticking with the uh, sticking with the theme here, we've got some uh, art news that we wanted to discuss. Some items in the news from Zero Hedge Finance, uh, a far right libertarian. No, 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 it no. totally is. No, it's not. It is labeled that. Where is it labeled that? Uh, Google it. It is listed as a far right libertarian. Who listed it financial- as that? Who listed it? As I that? think it's Wikipedia. 
Oh, gosh. You cannot use Wikipedia and, as a source for anything, although we have in the past. <laughs> Are you serious? It's been labeled as far-right well, extremists. They, they have some issues with their – yeah, because they certainly have um, – they've had some reprimands. And then what is this whole Tyler Durden pseudonym for the uh, the founder who writes – <laughs> Uh, yeah. That's 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 a little. Uh, that's a little. Mm, it smells so great to me. Uh, okay. All right. Well, it doesn't matter. So this whole NFT thing. I, the reason I'm just like walking away from it because it suddenly it's popular and Jerry Salt is talking about. It, and I'm like, I don't. Oh know. God, he's talking about. Oh it. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a little. Already, it's okay. a little like pop thing in the art world right now. But all right. Well, hang on. All right. So but from you, zero. So Grimes gr- just made the headline. Grimes right. just made 5.8 million in 20 minutes selling digital art. This was on Wednesday, March the third of 2021 uh elon musk's baby mama love interest grimes recently made a six million dollar score in only 20 minutes by selling digital artwork in an online auction and then it goes on to explain it from a financial you know and and if you don't if you want to avoid a far right extremist uh whatever blog you can just go i guess to the daily mail and read the story there um or part of it Look, I don't care whatever you think about the digital art itself. It, what's interesting is this, uh, the non-fungible token right. that the works come with is encrypted with the artist's signature and authenticates the art as original. It relies on blockchain to verify authenticity. And um, Grimes herself is currently worth about $6 million, and the auction marked her first foray into NFTs and selling artwork. The NFTs have surged in popularity since the beginning of COVID as have pieces of digital art and digital assets. What's your what's your take on that? I, my, I'm going to go back to, I mean, there's been video art for yeah. years where there's maybe one or there's four uh-huh. literally tapes, you know, perhaps that were sold. And I just see this this piece just seemed like a hype machine. I don't see what's wrong because there was a quote. Uh, by the, I don't know who this art collector is, but Pablo Rodriguez, is it Frail? Fraley? I don't know. But, uh, oh, I see right here, yeah. The reality here is that this is very, very valuable because of who is behind it. And it's like, yeah, no, no kidding, though. No. I mean, but that's that's <laughs> art, isn't it? Or that's, it's a brand name, whether that's Paul McCartney or it's yeah. Duchamp's. If, if, it's, if our mud is not on that urinal, it's just a urinal. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> so that's, okay. That's what's entertaining about this reading this resource here because it's there's that unsaid kind of moment read between the lines at the end and that quote it just leaves you right. hanging. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. That sticks. So if you want to go to uh, another source to to uh, further to unpack further uh, at art uh, let's see at artnews.com. No FT, no NFT is an island. Artists discover ways to use NFTs to support their practice. Uh, March 5th. Yes, March 5th, 2021. Non-fungible tokens, the images and multimedia attached to strings of Ethereum blockchain code that the art world has recently become obsessed with, function on scarcity. That's a problematic sentence. Non-fungible tokens function on scarcity. But I mean, but I think the thing went on to say that all art functions on scarcity, um, which is like um, no kidding. Right. Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I don't really. I actually like it. Um, 
it's the buying of the NFT that's caught caught on, right? It's just the fact that you can own. Oh well, I bought right. the NFT, and that's the you know. So I don't know uh, value wise what that looks like moving forward, and. Furthermore, is everybody going to jump into this now? And well, what's the old you know, suckers born every minute? But uh, you know, if, if for a generation now that uh, is all online, I think you know, gleaming gleaning from both of those articles, it was kind of that sentiment that if folks are online all the time, and then naturally they're going to yeah. view this is this is normal to them versus something in a gilded frame that. Uh, has a certificate of authenticity yeah. that still could have been forged and uh, baked sure. in somebody's oven to get the right uh, paint consistencies. And um, what it says here, the article, what we marvel at when looking at uh, non fungible token artwork versus a downloaded copy, say, which is otherwise identical, is the chain that's attached, the proof of ownership. In essence, we go up at its price tag. I mean, think about when photography finally started selling for huge dollars at auction when it still can be additioned um or prints right um it is interesting i don't know i i to me i i i'm not i would have i just passed on all this because i was thinking like you know andrea frazier comes to mind you know with like her tapes from years ago and and performances i mean now that those can be monetized i mean people will pay for anything and 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 bet that oh this is going to be valuable i mean Who's who's to say? Artists with big sales records might have a gallery or collector finance the production of a work in advance, but less established artists don't have that option. NFTs provide a shortcut. Like an initial public offering, they can raise money to create a work or simply provide a living. See, I didn't I couldn't I didn't see that parallel like that. I read that and I the way you're going from talking about Grimes and she's worth six million to suddenly up and coming artists like name <laughs> name one who's been able to use this because how is that any different than you know crowdsourcing or what whatever the term the term is for a, a GoFundMe these days or or donations um, to make one's work? Um, well, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of unpacking, to be, unpacking to be done on this. No, no, I have, again, I'm not poo pooing it at all. Um, and here's how they wrap it up. Plexiglass vitrines often make art look better, but they don't make oh. the art. What brings value is the artwork within the ecosystem, not the imposed scarcity of a, of a non-fungible token. And without the former, the latter is meaningless. Do you really think plexiglass vitrines make the work look better? Well, it's like, I really? It's- <laughs> well, it says often make art look better, but I... <laughs> Like I thought that was an insurance reason to keep people's grubby mitts off of things. Yeah, I don't know. I did, uh, scarcity doesn't emerge from the material facts of the artwork, but from an appendage, like a plexiglass vitrine. Yeah, I don't understand why it took that. I don't know. It seems like you could find another, another appendage to... Um, and we started this whole thing, again, talking about scarcity... You know, in terms yeah. of any artist's output, less is better. Yeah. Uh, Neutral Milk Hotel, probably a great thing that that album is. There's Well, there's some, you know, some EPs and there's been a little bit of, there are a few more recordings. But, you know, like if there was like 20 more records, I wonder if that record would seem 
have the magical place that it does hold. Well, all, all of this makes me think of uh, Wu-Tang Clan's Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. <laughs> which I, do you remember this? Um, oh, uh, yeah. Most expensive yeah, album ever. Yeah. 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 My, my understanding is that it's not that great a record. <laughs> But again, it was the scarce that you know the scarcity and the the pride of owning that, uh, of being the owner of the sole copy. Yeah, I was going to say lots to unpack. I think it's a lot to pack. Unpack. Pack it back up and pack, pack it back up and move on. <laughs> As always, show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com, A rare nugget, occasionally at our Instagram, brainfuzzpodcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, or better yet, Joe, break out of the platform mentality and get into the protocol mentality. Maybe you want to try podfriend.com, for example. We're there, too. Anything else, Joe? Uh, stay tuned for a new Brain Fuzz segment. Uh, brain Fuzz Trivia. A brain teaser. It's been fun. Enjoyed it. As always... Be sure to visit the show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com for more information on the topics discussed in this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Brain Fuzz. That's two words, Brain Fuzz. And be sure to leave a thumbs up or a five-star review. Finally, don't forget Instagram at Brain Fuzz Podcast for the rare visual nuggets related to the show. Engage in the dialogue, or just say hello, and use hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast. We're going to go and check that Ethereum chart. <laughs> <laughs>